So I, uh, one of the things I did while I was taking some time off is I went back to think about what we've been walking through in our preaching the last five weeks. And I think you would agree, it's been pretty heavy, haven't it? We've waded really deep into some issues of despair, of darkness, of spiritual strongholds, of stepping through those. For three weeks, we looked at Habakkuk. We looked at those things in our lives that bring us into periods of wrestling and waiting and embracing. And then we turn uh, the last two weeks you guys spent on stop living like you can't and living like he can, examining those strongholds as Matt Bryant walked you guys through. So today what I want us to do is I know we've been pretty heavy. And today you kind of are a little bit more awake because you've got an extra hours of sleep if you took advantage of that. And so today I want to I come and look at those same issues of despair and darkness and loneliness and heaviness, but I want to look at them from the other side. And here's what I mean by that. At times in life, we have to put on a different set of lenses to look at the same set of circumstances. And I, I say this a couple times a year. But when I was in third or fourth grade, I remember going with my mom to Pearl Vision in Charlotte on Freedom Drive. Probably nobody else in the room knows what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, it was uh, kind of the version of my eye doctor or one of the other eye clinics around that you'll see now. And so I went to Pearl Vision. I was having trouble seeing the chalkboard. And so I went in and I got my first pair of glasses and they were so fashionable. Not at all, all right? There was no such thing as fashionable glasses right then. And so I got my first pair of glasses And I've shared this with you guys before. I I distinctly remember going down Freedom Drive back to my house, and I remember putting on the glasses, and I remember looking around, and my statement to my mother was this. Mom, did you know those trees have leaves? Well, yes, son, they've always had leaves. Well, I know they've always had leaves, but can you see those leaves? Well, yes, son, I've always been able to see. I said, I forgot. I didn't know I knew their leaves were there. I knew they were still hanging there, but my vision had changed in such a way that when I put on those glasses, I could see them. And as you've looked at hope in the dark, if you've looked at spiritual strongholds, today I want to ask you, as you're thinking through what those strongholds are, what those moments of darkness are, I want to ask you to look at them this morning with a different set of lenses, a fresh perspective. And so this morning we're going to examine what it means to be joy filled people. Now I want to clarify, not just happy people, but joy-filled people. There's a difference. So let's look at the word joy. I'm going to give you some definitions of joy. Uh, These are not mine. These are from an online source, all right? So they've got to be true, right? Uh, And so here they are. Here's four definitions of joy. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. I I got a problem with that definition, and here's what it is. The problem is joy is only possible as you achieve your desires. But here's what happens. You achieve one desire, and what do you want next? It's the American dream, right? You want a pursuit of things. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, I want more. And so we keep reaching for more. And so during that period, we don't have joy because we're trying to reach towards something else, another purpose, another goal. We keep reaching. And we can't have joy, according to this definition, unless we keep grabbing that next thing. Joy, the next definition is joy is the expression or exhibition of such emotion. This is a terrible definition just because it just says joy is being joyful. That's so weak, right? 
Joy's being joyful. Big deal. Here we go. Joy is the third one, is the state of happiness or felicity. Sounds like a blog post, right? Uh, it, just, it just sounds like so happy, and as long as things are, are happy, then things are joyful, and as long as things are joyful, things are happy, but if, things, if you're not happy anymore, then you, you can't be joy-filled, and it just, it just doesn't work for me. It's not biblical. The last definition is this. Joy is a source or cause of delight. The problem with this definition is it says joy is the source. Biblically, we saw in Habakkuk, after all of his wrestling and all of his difficulties and all of his conversations and his prophetic moments that he communicated us from the Lord, in Habakkuk chapter 3, he says this at the end. He says, yet I will rejoice, which means to find joy, in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Joy is not the source of happiness. Joy is not the source of contentment. What is a relationship with God? Joy is a byproduct of the relationship. And so today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 51. I know it took us a while to get to Psalm 51. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 51. It's a really unique psalm. and, And here's why. Because the Bible, unless you study it and know it, you you may not realize the Bible is filled with honest conversations with real people with a holy God. And this one is real. This is written by a guy by the name of David, King David. He was ordained by God to be the king of Israel. He was a perfect king and he never made any mistakes. Wrong. He committed adultery. He took his office and used his office to have the husband of the wife he committed adultery with to be killed on the battle line. He's a murderer. He's confronted by a friend of his, a prophet by the name of Nathan, who comes to him and says, hey, this is wrong. Don't you realize what you've done? And so what we have in the Psalms are numerous moments where we hear David crying out to God. He's communicating to God his brokenness, And in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 7, here's what we hear. We hear him saying, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. God, give me hope. God, protect me. God, cleanse me. And then Psalm 51, 8 through 12. We see this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. This is his prayer to the Lord. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities, my wrongdoings. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the what? The joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's attached to, it's not the source, joy is not. It is pointing towards something greater. And here, David is saying it's pointing to his salvation, to his relationship with God. And uphold with me a willing spirit. I love how another translation records 
verse 8, it says, Oh God, give me back my joy. You've broken me. You've forgiven me. Now let me rejoice. What I want us to see as you're looking at your difficulties and your despair and your brokenness, I want you to put a set of lenses on this morning about joy. This is not a, a fake joy. This is not a happy, I just pulled in the church parking lot, I need to put slap on a smile joy. This is not, I'm going to talk to the pastor after church and tell him everything is going to go all right joy. This is a joy that is built on something. And what you're going to see, and what we see in here, is David is depending on a pure relationship between him and his heavenly Father. Purity in relationship with the Lord is the root. Joy is the fruit. Say that with me. I'll shorten it for you. And you'll just repeat like you're in a wedding, all right? You're just doing some vows with me. Purity is the root. Joy is the fruit. It's not the other way around. You don't have to repeat that, all right? It's not the other way around. It's not joy is the root and purity is the fruit. No, David in verse 8 through 12, what does he say? God, clean me, forgive me, set me right, restore my broken bones, give me joy, let me rejoice in your salvation. He's saying, God, put me, trust me, forgive me, I'm repenting, I'm confessing, set me in a right relationship with you so that I can have joy. Restore to me joy. Joy is the signpost that points to Jesus. Now, I got, I've got a lot of friends, but I got a friend, church member, and this person is a joy-filled person. Quite honestly, sometimes they, they're, they're just so joy-filled, right? And, and this person hugs everybody and loves everybody and squeezes everybody. I, it's not describing me, okay? I know I hug a lot of people, but they have joy and they smile. But here's how I know this joy is not circumstantial. That you go, well, Pastor, that sounds just like having a good day. No, because I've seen that person in the middle of their joy do something. They've wept with someone. They've rejoiced when somebody, something incredible happened in their life and it didn't happen to them. They've rejoiced for them. And in every situation, here's what they've done. Their joy is not the root. People aren't coming to them and going, hey, tell me about your joy. And they go, oh, well, I'm joyful because I did something. No, they point people upward to Jesus. Because they recognize that a purity in relationship with a holy God is the root. And out of that, joy becomes a fruit. Joy is not the goal. Make sure we understand that this morning. Joy is not the goal. A pure, vibrant relationship to Jesus is. A pure, vibrant relationship to Jesus is. Because when our joy is attached to Jesus, we can cling to his promises when life is not happy, when life doesn't go well, when life is not smooth. Paul writes about this attitude. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. Take joy, not on its own. Take joy in something greater in the Lord. Again, rejoice. Take joy, 
Jesus speaks in an unusual moment in the lives of his disciples. You can go back and read kind of the whole dialogue in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. But in in John chapter 16, Jesus is letting his disciples know that he's going to leave. They have no idea what's about to take place. They can't comprehend that Jesus is going to die and be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven. That's not on their radar at all. But listen to what Jesus says to them. In John chapter 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. When she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. If I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ through his death, through his resurrection, through him forgiving me, verse 22 is mine to claim and yours as well, and no one will take my joy from me. Because of a relationship with Jesus. And no one will take your joy from you. Now, if you've ever experienced or watched a woman give birth to a child, it is a moment of pain. It is a moment of anguish. It is biblical. Look in Genesis. As a part of the fall of man, childbirth was going to be painful. But there's something absolutely beautiful. When a mother is given a child, she lays that child on her chest and tears of joy start to come down her face. And all of a sudden, although she's still in pain, although she's still in the middle of recovery and beginning recovery, there's joy because what God has brought through that. He says, take joy. You may have sorrow, you may have difficulties, but take joy. And know this, your joy No one can take it from you. Joy is a state, though, of never being separated from the promises of God's word. So why don't we have joy? Why don't we find ourselves in the middle of hope in the dark or in the middle of strongholds? Why do we distance ourselves from joy? I want to look at four reasons or stumbling blocks to a spirit of joy. And these are not original to me. They come from a book entitled The Fruitful Life by Jerry Bridges. And I want to look at four things that keep us from being joyful people. But before we do this, I'm not going to ask you to ask somebody around you. On a scale of zero to five, five being the most joyful, zero being the most bitter, resentful, angry person on the planet, all right? Zero to five, in your mind, rank yourself right now. Am I a joyful person? Zero to five. So you're like, oh, I'll just take the middle because that's the easy way to take a test. That's fine. So now let's look at what, are, what could be some of the things that are stealing our joy. The first one that Bridges poses, but also it's biblical, is this, it's sin. The common stumbling block to our spirit of joy is sin. 
This is what David was talking about in Psalm 51. In order for him to have the joy of the Lord, what did he desire? What did he do? He confessed his sin. He repented of his sin. God forgave him of his sin. God cleaned him up and restored the joy of his salvation. Psalm chapter 32, David says this in another moment when he's confessing. He says, For when I keep silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of the summer. Translation, this guy is living in sin and the insides of him are so burdened and broken. He says, I'm just broken on the inside. Some of you in this room have no joy because you are living in a habitual, sinful pattern. And you say, man, I'm a zero and I know the sin. I'm a zero and I know the brokenness. Can I just give you Psalm 51, 12 again? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with me a willing spirit. This morning, if you say, man, I don't have joy because I know there's a sinful habit in my life and I'm not letting go of it and I'm a miserable person. Praise God, he is faithful to forgive you. Because I wouldn't be standing here if that is not the case. Thank God he is a forgiving God who, David says, create in me a clean heart. Do not, do not pull back your Holy Spirit from me because sin will captive, cap, take captive a joyful spirit. Resentment will silence a spirit of joy. The solution for stepping over this stumbling block is confession. This morning, I was walking in here. It was really early. It was 6.45 or something like that, 7 o'clock. We were walking in here, getting things going for the day. And I, I was walking out. I was walking down this aisle. Was, for some reason, I just walked on the black line for purpose, for just whatever reason. And in my mind, God just said, what if today a spirit of repentance falls on this congregation? What if today in this room, true brokenness Repentance and restoring of joy takes place in this room. Sin, another stumbling block, is confidence in ourselves instead of the joy of the Lord. Confidence in ourselves instead of the joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because the problem is, if I become confident in my good works then I'm putting all the trust, all the joy, and when those do not go according to plan, then all of a sudden I don't have joy anymore. You may have great confidence. You may have accomplished a lot in this life according to definitions of success, or you may have very little that this world would define as success. But Jesus promises for both sides of those, if you'll confess your sins before me, I will be faithful to forgive you. Do not have confidence in your own accomplishments. You have confidence and rejoice in the Lord. Sin, confidence in ourselves, discipline. Some of us are in a moment or in a season of discipline and we're not joyful because we don't like it. You're going through some consequences because of some sin in the past and you're having to face those. And it doesn't feel good. You're relinquishing some strongholds that Matt preached about last week and you realize that as you relinquish strongholds, there's some things that you've got to own up to and you're being disciplined. And it doesn't feel good. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. What happens when somebody comes to us and lowers discipline on us? What do we do? We fight authority, don't we? We push back. They could be right, but we push back. We're sinful, we're broken, we're prideful. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't agree with what we're thinking. And what are we doing in that moment? We're just wringing out the joy of our lives. Until we resolve our attitude to understand the heart of the one guiding us. Do you hear me? We've got to trust in the heart of the one guiding us. David is trusting the heart of God to guide him. We have to do the same thing. If God is disciplining you, if he's convicting you, and you say, man, I'm just really in a bad spot right now, trust in the one who says, I will restore to to you the joy of your salvation. The fourth reason why we stumble in our joy is trials of faith. We're in the middle of financial difficulties and stress of life, of moving, loss of a loved one, a lot of reasons. I was reading this this week. Kay Warren said this, joy and sorrow are on parallel tracks that are always present in life. It's never all joy and it's never all sorrow, but we go through those, through our lives. But our response to stumbling block is to trust in the character and the nature of God. Trials of faith, perseverance. God knows everything. Psalm 139. God is everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 24. God is perfect. Psalm 18, 30. God will never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5. God offered to you His Son as a payment for your sins. John 3, 16 and 17. God's grace will restore and strengthen you. 1 Peter 5.10 God offers hope for your eternity. Titus 1.2 You're going through trials? Remind yourselves. Remind ourselves who God is. Remind us of His character and of His nature. Joy is dependent on being in a right relationship with God. So this morning, as you're staring down some despair, depression, spiritual emptiness, as you're staring down some strongholds that you've, you've yet to let go of, I want to pray that this morning you would look and say, is it a sin? Is there confidence in myself instead of the Lord? Are there trials of faith? Am I in the middle of discipline? And this morning, God, restore to me the joy that comes from my salvation through you today. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Zero to five. Are you joyful? I didn't say happy. I didn't say slap on a face, walking into church. Are you joy-filled? Because of the promises of God's word. This morning, do you need to confess? Do you need to let go of control? Do you need to trust the discipline of God's word? And do you need to walk through those journeys of faith? Let's pray this morning.